Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Philly Icon, Shaw's himself, Rod Jaworski. Jaworski gave the Eagles their most mobile quarterback in over a decade, scoring five touchdowns while gaining important yardage in key situations. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today we sit down with a 17-year NFL veteran, a pro bowler, and a member of the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame. He's just as well known for his broadcasting career, uh, covering the NFL for a long, long time now. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Jaworski. Jaws, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, Brett, great to be with you. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, when I when I think of you and your family, the Boone family, and your dad and I were very close. Obviously, he was with the Phillies, obviously the Eagles, during a, a really good run here in Philadelphia. So, it, uh, And obviously, the whole family's had great success in sports, so it's always a pleasure and an honor to be talking uh, uh, about baseball when football really was my life. Yeah, I get excited. Anytime I get – you know, we've had some Philly guys on the on – the, uh, on the podcast, we we had Bull on a few weeks ago, Greg Lisinski. Yep. We had Schmitty, uh, and it's just I don't know. It's fun. I had Barkley on the other day, and you know he was in Philly for a while, so he gets that that flavor that we all got. I you as a professional, me uh, as a little kid watching you guys. But let's get it out of the way. Philly fans, break them down for me. <laughs> uh- you know, I was fortunate to play 17 years in the NFL, as you stated. You know, started my career in L.A. with the Rams, came to Philadelphia for 10 years, I went to Miami for a couple of years, and then ended my career in Kansas City with the Chiefs in 1989, uh, my last year as a player, and I retired in 1990. So I've, I've been around the league. I've been around different cities. I've played in uh, every city in the National Football League. And I get that question a lot about the Philly fans, and I say, you know, you you were here, you you you'll understand what I'm saying. It's it's just different. There are great fans everywhere in the Major League Baseball, the NBA, National Hockey League, National Football League. There are great fans with that passion everywhere. That that's not even a question. But the level of passion in Philadelphia is just different. And you know, I I, I still you know I, I I got booed. You know, I was I was a league MVP in 1980, and I. I remember I, I, in a game, I hit my first nine passes. The 10th the was incomplete, and I got booed. You know, so you just, you, you just deal with that. But it's almost like you're their own. Um, they're allowed to do it, but no one else can do it. But, but clearly the passion level in Philadelphia definitely is different. I, you, you know, you spend time in, in, in Boston and New York. You know how, how passionate those, those cities are for their teams. But like I said, the temperature in Philadelphia is just a little bit hotter. It is. And it's, you know, I remember you mentioned, you know, your, your MVP season, they're booing, <laughs> they'll boo you out of the vet. Cause I remember, and, and, you know, my, most of my memories of Philly, of course I came through there, never played for the Phillies. Uh, but I'd come to town as a visiting, as a visiting player, brought back a ton of great memories, especially when they were still in the vet. But, uh, I remember just growing up and, you know, still to this day, arguably, uh, the greatest third baseman of all time are definitely a top top three or four of all time. Schmidt get bowled out he he'd get booed out of the building. And I'm going this guy, you know, he led the he led the league at home runs eight times. I think he's a two or three time MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer. 
They'll boo him. They'll boo anybody. But I know what you what you're saying. I, it's just something a little different. That unless you've been there, unless you've lived there, unless you've you've been in that atmosphere, you really can't explain it to people. They got to they got to feel it for themselves. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned Schmidt. You know, arguably, you know, the greatest Philly ever. You certainly argue many players in that category. But you know, the, I remember the one game he got booed. And he showed up the next day in, in with sunglasses and a wig. You know, he, he tried at least to calm things down. You know, and 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 Mike wasn't you know kind of the most personable guy as far as dealing with the fans. He was he was tremendously focused on being a great player, which which he was. But he tried to shed a little light on it. Now, I'm not even sure it worked, but he tried. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, growing up, and, and I still have so many fond memories, the whole Boone family, uh, you know, growing up there and dad playing there from uh, the early 70s till till 80, I think it was 81 or 82, he headed out to Anaheim. But most of my childhood was spent in Philadelphia. So it was the Phillies. I, I was everything Phillies. But when the Phillies ended, and you know how it is in, the, in that town and, and the Philly fans, it goes straight to the Eagles. And then from the Eagles, you got the Flyers, you got the Sixers. It's a true... Uh, sports town for real they take it serious but i remember off-season workouts during your season during the football season uh we'd be out at the vet and back then for those of you listening to the boone podcast uh you don't have to be too old to remember but the vet was shared by the eagles and the phillies now they have their separate venues but in the off-season we'd come in you know dad and i don't know if you remember gus heffling of course but, uh, uh, you know I yeah, mean, yeah Steve, i think Steve i Carlton think the phillies will, stole will him from the eagles yeah and, well, and and the the uh, the rice in the in the garbage can. Yeah. That was the, you know how how Steve Carlton uh, claims Steve he had you know that great arm strength. You know, quirky way to get arm strength, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, and and I remember coming to the ballpark. That's when people were just touching the the, the starting to train, starting to to go down different avenues. As you know, he was the Kung Fu guy. But I remember coming. Dad would bring me to the ballpark in the offseason, and and I catch a glimpse of you guys on the field. And I'd go out there. I remember having a catch with Herm Edwards one day. But it was wow. cool watching you because because Aaron and myself and, and my younger brother came along a little later, Matthew. We grew up watching you guys. And it was a big deal Sunday. And I remember, you know, Harold Carmichael and Wilbert and Jack LaMaster, Bill Berge. I used to <laughs> we used to play touch football in, in uh, Jersey, where I live, just over the just over the bridge from Philadelphia. And, you know, when you're a kid, you play 10 yards as a first down. Yep. And, and every time we scored, I'd made sure I had to kick the extra point. I had a field goal in my backyard. I used to take my <laughs> shoe off because I was Tony Franklin. And my ki- right. and my buddies were, you know, they're just kind of rolling their eyes. Like, yeah, Brett. Were, were, were you barefoot? Yeah, I was barefoot. You kicked it barefoot like Tony I did. Kicked, right. right. And, but my buddies are just giving me that eye roll. Like, really? We got to kick the extra point. Come on. It's touch football. But that's that's how we were. We were into our sports. I still to this day, I, it gives me goosebumps when I hear Merrill Reese. I mean, that's the voice of from the time I was, you know, four or five years old till present. Uh, Aaron does a great impression of Merrill, and and he's a bigger fan than me. I mean, he mm. to this day he still puts on his Eagle jersey for for uh, the game on Sunday. I remember those great rivalries with uh, the Dallas Cowboys. How fun was that? And that they talk about Boston, 
you talk about New York Yankees. That's a great rivalry from from a baseball standpoint. But I don't remember it getting any better than those Eagle Cowboy, uh, that Eagle Cowboy rivalry, especially yeah, back it, in that time. Just it, it still that is a, a great rivalry. It, it still is the one that uh, when the schedule comes out, you know, Eagle fans they look forward to that game. You know, it started back in the in the mid seventies when Steve Sable, then the president of NFL Films, coined the term America's team and gave it to the Dallas Cowboys. And quite honestly, that pissed everybody off in Philadelphia. You know, <laughs> you know here's a, where the, the independence was, was born and basically, wow, why is Dallas America's team, you know? And it just became a very nasty rivalry. Uh, you know, in my in my tenure in Philly, the 10 years, the years, particularly with Dick Vermeil, I mean, he had a, 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 a hatred for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, and, and, and for a simple reason, Booney, they were good. They they were really good. They and 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 when the schedule came out, Dick Mill would always circle the two Dallas games. Hey guys, hey if if we're going to be the best, we got to beat the best. So they were the shining object that we were focused on. Yeah, we knew the Giants were tough. We knew the Washington Football Team. Now the Redskins back then were tough, but it was Dallas that was the dominant team. So we had focused on beating the Dallas Cowboys. And you know, when I think back to the the nineteen eighty NFC Championship game, we beat the Cowboys here in Philadelphia. And that was probably the, it, my biggest win of my career, beating the Cowboys championship game and taking us on to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that 80s year for the city of Philadelphia was great. Oh, my God. All, yep. <laughs> all levels. And we'll get to that a little bit. I want to hear about Ron Jaworski, uh, the kid born and raised. And and let me tell me if I say it correctly. Lackawanna, New York. That is correct. All right. Not bad for <laughs> throwing a, you know, that was a dart. But uh, just tell me about what it was like, uh, Ron Jaworski, growing up. What were you like as a kid? Was it always football? I know in high school you were a three-sports uh, sports star, but I'm going to let you tell me. Yeah, interesting, Booney. I mean, my, my passion growing up was baseball. I was a, a, just a huge baseball fan and a pretty good player. Um, so, but I did play baseball, basketball, and football. As most people in high school, you do as much as you can. You play as many sports as you can. And the crossover value, I think, certainly did help. But, you know, when I was 17, I had an opportunity to sign with the St. Louis Cardinals. I can still remember the guy's name, Joe Gershow, sitting at my house trying to get me to sign a contract to play baseball with the Cardinals and send me the Batavia in New York Penn League and pay me like $150 a week. You know, and I was like, I'm going, man. My parents, you know, I argued with them for a month, but I also was a pretty good football player and had, uh, you know, in the 30, 35, 36 scholarship offers. And my parents, I was the third child. I had an older brother, older sister. Uh, they never went to college. And my parents wanted me to get an education. And as I look back, I lost that argument. You know, I went on to Youngstown State, you know, the Youngstown State for four years and got my education. Uh, and it really helped me after I retired from football but clearly you know I wanted to play baseball when you're young uh, 17 year old the chance to play professional baseball it's what I want to do now when I get when I went to college clearly you know football took over as my prime sport but you know when you're young you like to play all the sports and I did you mentioned the sports and and you know I've, I've had a few guys on that we talk about the the kids today and the, there's a lot of specialization on, on all the sports not just baseball not just football I love the the even 15, 20, 25 years ago when, when you did, you mentioned it, you play football, you play basketball, you play baseball. I'm from the, uh, you know, I'm from the argument that it, it makes you better uh, 
for the other sport. Things you do in baseball help you be a better football. Things you do on the football field transcend to to, to baseball, to basketball. And, and another thing is the baseball season's over and, and you're not burnt out. It's like, all right, now it's football season. I, I think that's something we're getting away from uh, in today, in 2021. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I always felt, you know, the best thing to do is play all sports. There, there was there was that carryover value. And, 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 you know, I can still remember the term, you know, be an athlete. You know, if you're playing baseball, basketball, football, soccer, tennis, golf, whatever, be an athlete. And I just think if you focus on one sport, it's harder to be an athlete. You may be good in that specific sport. And I just thought the body was better adapted for all sports if you played all sports. And, you know, when I was a minor in kinesiology at Youngstown State, so I kind of learned about body mechanics and body movement. And I learned that, hey, the more you move all the muscles in your body, the better off you have a chance, you know, to be a good athlete. So being an athlete was, was a phrase that, that I always kind of use in, in, in my own mind as I became a professional football player. Be an athlete as well. Still do everything to this day. I mean, golf is kind of my passion right now. Anyway, it's the only thing I can do and compete in right now. But I, I think the fact that I played a lot of sports helped me become a better athlete. Uh, so you move on to Youngstown State. Um... Tell me about that college experience. Uh, I believe you go there and after 69, was your senior year in high school and you go to Youngstown State. How was that for you? It, it, it was awesome, Booney, because, you know, like I said, I was offered a number of scholarships and, you know, the, the, the Pitt, Boston College, Boston U, uh, Wyoming, Georgia Tech, Florida, all these, all these schools are offering scholarships. I was about six foot two and a half and about 160 pounds coming out of Lackawanna High School. And I went and visited, you know, Syracuse and Ben Schwartzwalder and, you know, great programs of, of that era. And I'm going... I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this program. I'm just, I'm the skinny kid that hasn't filled out my body yet. And uh, when I went to Youngstown State, the, the head coach there, Dyke Beatty, actually recruited my dad. Um, I, you know, we, we, we spent a couple days on campus and the defensive coordinator spent most of the time with me. The head coach spent time with my dad. Uh, and, you know, so we're on, we're on the way back home from Youngstown to Lackawanna and on, on the drive back, uh, my dad goes, you know, I really like that coach Beatty. I, I think you ought to go to Youngstown State. So Coach Beatty won that recruiting job because he got my dad convinced that that's where I should go to school. And thank goodness he did because it worked out very well. Your senior year, you go to the Senior Bowl. And now I don't think they have the Senior Bowl anymore. Yes, Back they do. Then. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah, they still have it. Okay. So yeah, this they is... still do. It's, 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 it's the prime postseason game for college players. They do a fantastic job. I, I think now it's called the, the Reese's Senior Bowl. They do an awesome oh, okay. job down in Mobile, Alabama. Is is that uh, take this through for for the football fans out? Is that kind of the who's who of uh, obviously of the senior class of that year? So it gives you a little uh, a little I don't know sneak peek on what that draft might have, especially back then when it's not as up to date. We don't have the analytics, we don't have the technology uh, back then like we do now. Was that kind of a glimpse in here? Here's the guy. Here's the cream of the crop in the country, and and here's how the draft's probably going to set up. Yeah, it, it probably is the the, the prime game uh, for college seniors uh, to show their wares. Uh, you know, and you know, especially for someone like myself at a, at that time a Division two school. Uh, but that that's kind of the game where all the pro scouts go and they, they evaluate you. And 
you know, it, it's a lot different now. I mean, they, they don't miss anybody nowadays. And, you know, back in that day, it certainly was a game where, where I had a chance to elevate myself. And, and I was actually very fortunate because I, I wasn't originally selected to go to the Senior Bowl game. That'd be the 1973 game. Uh, and Dan Fouts uh, got hurt out at the Senior Bowl. And uh, so uh, Lou Saban, who at the time was the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, uh, knew I was kind of a local kid, and he, made a, uh, he put a random call in. I don't even know where he got my mom's number from. He called my mom and tracked her down. Uh, and I ended up getting back to Lou Saban. He said, you know, hey, are, are you around? Can, can you get to Mobile, Alabama? When Dan Fouts got hurt, we need, we need another quarterback. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'll, get there. I'll get there in a heartbeat. And uh, I ended up uh, – I think at that time, most people were projecting like maybe a fourth or fifth round. Well, I went the 37 players selected that draft because I think my performance in, in, in the Senior Bowl really shocked a lot of people. Now, it didn't shock me because I always felt I had the talent. I didn't, I didn't lack for confidence. But, you know, when you come out of a, a school that doesn't get national TV recognition and scouts coming in and out, you know, recruiting and doing all the things they do now, you just don't know. So it, it was a detriment to be at a small school, but the Senior Bowl game uh, really elevated my draft position. You mentioned Fouts. You replaced Fouts. You went higher than him in the draft. So that that was the best. Yeah, I, I know it is kind of strange. Your life. You know, Bert, Bert Jones was in uh, in that class as well, and Tony Adams. There were some uh, very prolific uh, collegiate quarterbacks in that uh, that that seventy three draft. So seventy three, your second round pick of the uh, the Rams, you sign, and now it, it's from uh, you're going from Youngst- Youngstown State. To the big time. How, how was that transition for you? I'm always curious because baseball is so different. Uh, you know, we have that minor league that we go and you go to A ball and double A. Uh, you know, the guys coming out of college, if they're really quick, they get there within a couple of years. High school, it's a little longer of a trek. Yep. Uh, but I'm always interested, especially for a quarterback, you know, with with the nuances and, and the things you've got to learn. It, it Not too many guys come right out of that draft. And go straight to the helm and, and and that starting quarterback position. Tell me how that transition was for you going from Youngstown State uh, to the NFL. Yeah, I went from a, a steel town in Youngstown to a tinsel town uh, in Los Angeles. It was it was a it was a rude awakening because you know even my my background growing up was, you know, kind of blue collar, go to a blue collar college and all of a sudden, you know, you know, LA is a little bit different. It's just, it's just a different feeling when you're out there. And quite honestly, I was not prepared for that quantum uh, leap that you have to take from, you know, a collegiate division two program to the national football league. It, it, it just took me a while to get acclimated. Uh, people talk about the speed of the game. And for me, it was actually more than that. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was a, a lifestyle change. It was the way the game was played change. It was, it was it was pro football and and it was it was it was a it was a big a big difference for me so you know that first year there was I was almost called the taxi squad um, I played behind John Hadel and James Harris that year and uh, you know two great guys to learn from uh, James Harris taught me a lot about you know a lot about the National Football League and how to play the game at the at the NFL level um, still still a dear friend to this day but, but I, I really didn't get the opportunity to play 
play regularly to be a starter. Um, I opened the 75 season as a starter, and I broke my shoulder on a quarterback sneak opening day at Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta. So that put me back 10 weeks. And so it was just kind of one little thing after another. Uh, but the, the L.A. experience was great. We were in, you know, in the playoffs four years, three NFC championship games, never got to the Super Bowl with some really good teams. But the experience I gained from then head coach Chuck Knox and playing, you know, big-time football in a big-time city really helped get me ready for my, my tenure in Philadelphia. And after, yeah, after the 76 season uh, with the Rams, you get traded to the Eagles. And you mentioned early in the program, Dick Vermeil, I'm sure he, he, to this, it probably big, big role in your life. Uh, but it's a young Dick Vermeil. I believe he's in his second year. He's coming over from UCLA. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, you played with the Eagles from 77 to 86. And and Dick kind of, from my research, it's he said, you're my guy, Ron. He, he put you at the helm. And kind of the rest the rest is history as far as your tenure in, in Philadelphia goes. You, you played 10 years, had a lot of, had a lot of uh, success. Uh, tell me about that, those years in Philadelphia under Dick Vermeil. Yeah, they they were uh, you know they, it was obviously the highlight of my career you know being uh, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles for ten years you know going to the Super Bowl having a successful team uh, in in a, in a great community you know my kids were you know raised here uh, it, it, it's home for me now um, you know it it, it, it Philly's just as we started the show it's just a great sports town and uh, you know the ups and downs you deal with in sports I don't care if you're an all pro or the third string guy it just it's sports there are ups and downs you like you have to learn how to deal with it and you know and I, I learned how to deal with the the negative as well not just you know think everything is going to be great and I think I think the experience of of playing in Philadelphia certainly made me tougher um, you know it, it made me smarter because you, you had to be careful of you know uh, of who you hung out with and in fact I sometimes I wonder now even how in today's social media world some of these guys even function you know I, I really don't because uh, it was hard enough with you know as you know in Philly with the talk radio shows when it was first becoming a, a big part Part of the sports scene, you know, it was it was shock radio at that at, at the highest point. Uh, but but you know, you learn how to deal with it, you learn how to handle it. And I think the fact that you know I was able to handle that prepared me for my life after football. And you know, in 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 the '90s when I was working with ESPN and then you know Monday Night Football and doing those things, I think I was prepared for that. All those difficult challenges because of you know playing in Philadelphia, uh, playing in a tough town, uh, playing in a critical town, but playing also in a town that when you did things well. Well, they they reap you know you reap uh, all kinds of praise upon you. So it was a great learning experience. Uh, the ten years I played for the Eagles. The nickname that's where you got the nickname Jaws. Although I don't think it's a very big stretch. It kind of makes sense. Well, Jaworski <laughs> back there. Let, let's call him Jaws. But I know it was. And another mutual friend and a. Uh, a family friend of, of ours, it was Doug Collins, who was a sixer. I heard he's the one that coined the first guy that coined the coined the phrase Jaws, called you Jaws. Yeah, but Booney, you're absolutely right. And, you know, everyone thinks it's about, you know, the, the movie Jaws because that was what was a, a very predominant movie in the late 70s. But, you know, you'd mentioned earlier we were we were all kinds of uh, friends. You know, you, you know your dad, uh, Lezinski, Schmitty, you know, Lefty, all those guys at, at – at, 
at the vet, we shared the same basic showers, toilet facilities. The Phillies locker room was on one side. The Eagles locker room was on the other side. And we saw each other on a regular basis when our seasons overlapped. And it was the same thing with the Phillies and the Flyers and the Sixers. Everyone got to, got to know each other uh, you know, just by being around town and, and being close. And Doug was my neighbor. And uh, you know, he coined the term Jaws. And, he, and people say, oh, because of the movie. And, and Doug would always say, no, it wasn't because of the movie. His, his jaws are always flapping. So <laughs> he gave me the nickname Jaws, and it stuck with me. And for, for the most part, people still call me Jaws. <laughs> 1980, huge year for you. Uh, Pro Bowler, uh, Player of the Year. Uh, you, you take the Eagles to the Super Bowl uh, against the, the Raiders. Uh, tell me about that year in 80. And, and we touched on it earlier about how special uh, that year, 1980, was for the city of Philadelphia, not just the Eagles, but all four major sports. W- what a year that was. I remember it. I was I was probably 10. But uh, Philly was rocking. <laughs> there weren't too many yeah, losers it, that year. It was amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was it was amazing to be an athlete in this town. It was amazing to be a fan. As I said, you know, all the teams rooted for each other. In fact, I still have a great picture that was taken on the steps of the uh, the art museum with myself, uh, Tug McGraw, Julius Irving, and the, the flyer was Pete Peters because uh, they and they put this on the on the cover of, of Life magazine, and it, we were the city of champions, and we're all four teams in their respective sport, went to the championship game. Uh, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, and the Eagles. And uh, unfortunately, the only team that did win was the Phillies. Uh, the, all three of us lost in our Super Bowl and championship games. But uh, it, was, it, it was just a great time in Philly for, for the sports fanatics. And uh, although, hey, I was a player, man, I rooted so hard for, for those other teams because they were they're my friends. You, 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 know, you had mentioned it. You know, I mean, you were in South Jersey. I still live in Medford, New Jersey. And, and, and you know, I still run into people, you know, that, that are probably 10 years old like you were at the time. They still remember what a great year 1980 was because it, it really it really was special and i don't know if anyone will ever replicate all four teams in the four major sports going to the championship game and that wasn't it 80 you you, you take the team to the playoffs uh, through 84 every year what do you attribute the turnaround because at the time when you came over to the to the eagles it was a it was a flailing franchise how much of that uh was Vermeil the the kind of the catalyst of turning that around? What do you attribute that turnaround to? Going from kind of a a basement dweller to now you're in the Super Bowl and now you're expected to go to the playoffs every year. If my memory serves me correct, I think the Eagles went 17 straight years before Dick Vermeil came to Philadelphia without going to the playoffs. That is a long drought. <laughs> if you're, not, yeah. you're out that long. And uh, obviously, 70, you know, we go, we go to the playoffs in, in, in 78, 79, 80. We were on a run right then. But um, uh, Dick Vermeil really was the catalyst for that success. You know, he came from UCLA. You know, uh, they had won a big game in the Rose Bowl where they beat Ohio State, and he was kind of the hot coach in 1976. And Leonard Tosin and Jim Murray recruited him big time to come to Philadelphia. And thank goodness they did, because he turned around the entire Eagles program, you know, for five or six years, and you know, made us Super Bowl contenders while he was our head coach. And but it, 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 to this day, um, I probably speak to the coach at least once a week. So in, in, in hindsight, yeah, he was a great football coach, but he, he was a mentor in so many ways to me and so many other players that he still keeps in, in touch with all the guys. We'll uh, early, you know, late last week, I get, get you know, I was on a 
uh, kind of an email chain with a bunch of former players that Frank Lamasters, you know, not doing well, and you guys reach out to him, call him, you know, make sure you know you're you're being a good teammate, like he, like we're teammates, you know, and that's the kind of guy Dick Vermeil is. You weren't just a disposable product as a player, and the minute you can't help him win, you're gone. He stayed in touch with his players throughout his UCLA career, his Eagles career, his Rams career, and his Chiefs career. That's the kind of person he is, and that's why you know every time he touched a product, it became a quality product on the field, and even bigger and better in real life. So you know, I, I give Dick Vermeil all the credit for the turnaround the Eagles in you know in the late seventies. I got an, my next question is kind of an interesting one. We all go through it as as athletes. Uh, I went through it in Seattle at the at the end of my time, where I, I could kind of see the writing on the wall uh, with a young. Uh, up and coming second baseman. My 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 tenure had kind of run. They were getting rid of uh, a lot of the veterans on on my Mariner teams of the early two thousands. And I kind of I, I saw this kid coming up. I knew I you know I had one more year on my deal, and I knew after that year I probably uh, it wasn't that I wasn't going to play anymore, but it probably wasn't going to be in Seattle. Uh, Eighty five they they draft. Uh, up and coming, you know, someone that's yep. ends up having a pretty good career himself in Randall Cunningham. How is that uh, being the starting quarterback, being the man in that city for a long time? And and they draft a young hotshot. What's that like for you at the time? And how did those next couple of years go? I'm sure I probably had the same reaction. You played 14 years. You you know, there's a shelf life for all of us, um, but you, you you don't think that way as a player. Um, you know, you, you you accept the challenge. And I know you didn't, you know, you didn't say, ah, I'm out of here. I'm just going to relax. No, you, you fought like hell to keep your job. And that's, that's what I did. You know, Hey, they drafted Randall Cunningham in the second round. And, and, and I know, okay, uh, I'm in my 14th year, but I'm hey, I'm not throwing in the towel yet. They're going to have to drag me off this damn field. So if Randall wants my job there, he's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to earn it. And, and, you know, so I bowed my back and, uh, you know, I kept that job for a couple more years until Buddy Ryan came in. And then it was, you know, you, you, you kind of know that it, it, it's time because the team was beginning to deteriorate. And you don't need a, a 36 or 37 year old quarterback if you're going through a rebuilding program. When you think you can win, it's okay to have an, an, an aging veteran quarterback. But the minute you have to start working through the draft and you know you're three or four years away, um, I did not want to leave Philadelphia, but I also knew it was the best thing to leave Philadelphia and you know I could I could steal a couple paychecks for a few years and back up Dan Marino down in Miami and go to Kansas City and actually in 89 I was a starting quarterback and uh, Howie Long rolled up the backside of my knee and at 39 years old with a a torn meniscus uh, I knew my career was over. So in 90 uh, you retire and you start that second career. Um, Did you always know you wanted to to be in on this side of the mic when you were playing, I know, I, I believe if I'm correct, I believe in 88, you were doing the Ron Jaworski show in Philly <laughs> right. while right. being a member of the Miami dolphins. Now, Oh man, I had to go in the booth one time <laughs> in two, in 2003, I had to do the playoff game or playoff series. And, you know, I got Joe Buck, Tim McCarver. It's, it's 2003. I'm coming off a big year. You know, I'm the hot shot and Fox is trying to get me in the booth. I, I was terrible. I didn't say much. Uh, it was tough for me really to have an opinion because I'm thinking, man, I got to face Pedro in about three months. So I got to kind of watch what I'm saying. Up here. <laughs> you got to be careful. Now you're, right. <laughs> right. Now you're playing, you got a, you got a talk show in Philly 
which, as you mentioned, man, that's the hotbed. They're not messing around. They expect you to be have a strong opinion. As a player, shuffling that, was that easy for you, hard? Or obviously you knew that was the direction you were going to go uh, when your time on the field was over. Well, you know, I, I, I did like doing the show. I, I, and actually it was a call-in show too. So you know how crazy that can be. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. got to have that, you got to have that 10 second delay button or the producer better be, better be awake and, and uh, hit it, hit it a few times. But actually I was, I was playing with the Dolphins and still doing my Friday night Philadelphia radio show, you know, and it, it, it was, it was kind of weird, but it was also kind of fun. Uh, cause I, I didn't have to hold back, you know, when you're, if you're a player, you know, you certainly, you know, you, you can't say anything negative about your team. Uh, and so, but I was a Dolphin, I was, I was a Dolphin. I could say they want about the Eagles and it's a, it, it did yeah. make it kind of interesting. And it, you know, it, it, you know, as a quarterback, you get an opportunity to do a lot of shows and the media is always wants to talk to the quarterback. So, you know, I was kind of getting prepared for a, a post career. Although it really wasn't something that I said, boy, I really want to do, you know, I want to go to ESPN or I want to go to Fox or I want to go to, you know, ABC. I, I, you know, I, I kind of let the chips fall where they may. I was actually at that late in my career, I was acquiring golf courses. And to this day, I still own and operate seven golf courses in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I was kind of looking that is, you know, that was going to be my career after I retired. But I was able to juggle a, a, an ESPN career for 28 years and a, and a golf course uh, company that uh, is flourishing right now. So I'm, I'm knocking on wood as I say that. So I was very lucky, very lucky and very fortunate. Yeah. And I, and I guess I, I set the comparison up. We just had Michael K, the, the, the announcer for the yes network for the New York Yankees. We just Love Michael K do his show like every, every few weeks. <laughs> and, and Michael was telling me, I, I brought it back to him. I said, Michael, you're doing a, a an opinion show. Then you got to go do the Yankee game. How tough is that for you? Because those opinion shows, you got to tell it like it is. On the on the on the broadcast, it's you try to be fair and balanced. You're kind of in the middle, and he said, for times, it's it's a challenge for him to really. He, he's got a job to do, but he said at times he, he's not going to lie. It could be a challenge. Yours, I think you laid it out pretty good. If you were still a player playing for the Eagles, now it might have been a little. T- you probably wouldn't have had the show and done it. Uh, but you got to be careful. Yeah, the, no, yeah, you got to yeah, be careful. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're playing for the Dolphins. Yeah. You're like, whatever, you know, I'm getting a little bit yeah. old to be out of here. Eagles don't pay me so anymore. <laughs> I got to, I got to give him a chops. Okay. Uh, 90 to 2016 uh, NFL matchup, only 26 years doing that show. Uh, two, 2007 to, to 2011. Uh, I don't know what that in your career and, and all of the things that you've done, all the accomplishments that you, you've able to acquire. I don't know how important that was to you. Just layman's thinking, I think Monday Night Football is pretty cool. It's kind of the, the prime time, the, uh, the biggest game, probably the biggest audience in sports on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, what have you enjoyed uh, the most uh, in your career throughout all these different kind of stops you've had? Yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously, you know, playing quarterback in the NFL, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. You know, when, when you think of the average career in the NFL as 3.1 years, and I was able to last 17 years, never the biggest, never the strongest, never the fastest, uh, maybe never the smartest, but uh, I always felt uh, I'm going to outwork everybody, and, and I think that paid off. And even, you know, when I retired and you talk about Monday Night Football – 
you know, people think I, I retired and went to Monday Night Football. You know, I worked 15 years on my trade before I got that opportunity. And, 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 and so I, I, I was prepared for Monday Night Football. Um, you know, I, I still to this day have my office at NFL Films. I have access to all the games, all the tape, everything I want. Because I, whenever I still do, although I'm not full time in the broadcasting area right now, when I do a show like I'm talking to you, I, I want to be sure I'm prepared to give people the facts and as, as I see them. Uh, um, so I, I enjoy the preparation part of it, and, and I enjoy the, the the work part of it. So the money in football was I, it, it, it was it, working with John Gruden and Mike Tirico for three years. We absolutely had a ball. We you know and John. There's a reason John is as successful as a as a head coach in the National Football League. I mean his work ethic is second to none. And and I, you know three years I was with him, man. I thought I was a hard worker. That that guy just he's unbelievable. And and that, you know, so that enhanced. Me, my belief is that, hey, you know what? I'm going to outwork people. I may not be the biggest, strongest, fast, like I said, but you know what? When you go to bed at 10 o'clock, I'm going to stay up till 12 o'clock. I'm going to study more tape. I want to be prepared. I'm going to find an edge that I can beat you. And, and John was that same kind of guy. And, you know, and, and we dealt with, with the Monday Night Football, but with Mike Tirico, who I think is the best. And I know I don't want to diminish anyone that does, you know, play by play, but Mike Tirico is as smooth as they come. Uh, he, he's the Bob Cousy to me. And I'm throwing out an old name, by the way, but Bob Cousy, who would just assist everybody with the Boston Celtics when they won, you know, 11 straight championships and probably didn't get the credit he deserves, but he just, he was the assist leader. And that's how no ego. And Mike Tirico is the same way. He makes sure that we have a good telecast and he took it upon himself to make sure everyone was involved. He was the assist leader. Well, I'll tell you, you've done so many different things. I was all over the map. I'm going, wow, he's doing this. That's he's good. WIPs <laughs> over here. Arena football. You're, you're a co-owner with, uh, I believe, Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, uh, right. Tell me, about, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I get to you, it, it, it's still, if there's an area I'm disappointed in, it's that because I love arena football. I love the players. I love our ownership group. And, and, you know, we won three arena football league championships. For two straight years, we sold out, you know, the arena in Philadelphia, 17,000 people every game. It's a great game, great players. And, 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 and the, the league disbanded two years ago, and it still pains me. Because I think it's a great game. I love the players. It gives players an opportunity to play. But not only players, you've got coaches, general managers, athletic trainers, uh, marketing people. There, you know, we had hundreds of people in employment, and and it's a game of football, high scoring. And I would hope someone would bring the Arena Football League back. It was a great product. As a as a now all of a sudden you're an owner. What'd you learn as an owner that you didn't <laughs> really know as a player hey, or appreciate? Moody, I, I got to tell you, I probably wasn't uh, like an NFL owner where they sit up in their luxury box. I sat in the front row right next to the bench, and I was in every damn referee's ear. Yeah. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, so I, I wasn't your prototypical guy sitting up in the box where they're going to put the camera on me and you know show me having some uh, some Pinot Grigio watching a football game. That's not me, man. I'm blue collar, true and true. Athletes today in all sports versus your day. What do you see today uh, versus yesteryear? These guys are so talented; it's remarkable. You know, I, I I think of success I had as an NFL quarterback for 17 years, covering the NFL now for you know since my retirement in 1990. That's 
you know, 31 years. I, I'm just in awe of the greatness of today's present-day athletes. And, you know, I'm watching the NBA Finals last night, and uh, or not finals, but playoffs, and, you know, I, I see guys like Joel Embiid at seven foot three and 285 pounds and, you know, making three-point shots and with the grace of a ballet dancer. You know, these, these athletes in, in today's world are just so, so amazing. I, and I just love watching them. I appreciate the talent that they have. Uh, you remember the Youngstown State Hall of Fame. Uh, do you remember the Eagles Hall of Fame as well? That came in 1992. How was that call for you? Uh, how special was it for you? Yeah, it's really special because, you know, when you're playing, you know, you, you you don't think of those things. You you know, you think about your performance. But, you know, when you retire and people look back in your career and they say it's, it's Hall of Fame worthy, um, you know, and, and there's certainly a, a great, great feeling about that. And, you know, I know as a player when they would have the Hall of Fame day at the game and you know, Chuck Bednarik's and guys like that would Tommy McDonald would come on the field. I mean, you know, I, I went out of my way to go up and shake their hand, you know, because I, I, those are guys that I watched play as a kid growing up. And, you know, so I, you know, all of a sudden I'm in the Hall of Fame and I feel, wow, this, it, it, it's really a cool feeling. And now when we have the Hall of Fame day, you know, you go to the game and the players come up and want to shake your hand. It's a, it, it's a really good feeling and a, a, a great sense of accomplishment and a way to pass the baton as well. So when I see those young guys playing now, I say, you know, you'll get this gold. We don't, we don't have a gold jacket. We got a blue jacket. Well, you'll get this jacket someday. What are you most proud of? Uh, my wife, three kids, and uh, six grandsons. Awesome. And seven, yeah, they're really, really easy what, in that I, regard. Yeah, yeah really, really easy in that regard. <laughs> that's real life stuff. Ron Jaworski, I, I want to say thank you very much for coming on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Got to catch up. One of my one of my guys I used to watch as a kid in Philly. And what we do at the end of every Boone podcast is we bring the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, back to ask a question from the fans. Dano! Jaws. The question. All right, Dan. I'm ready for you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to throw you one right down the middle. You ready? This one comes from Bobby in Fort Worth, and he wants to know, Jaws, who hit you the hardest in your career? It's a real simple answer. Mike Hartenstein defensive end Chicago Bears at Veterans Stadium. Uh, he hit me on the back of the helmet on Sunday afternoon. I woke up in Paoli Hospital on Tuesday. Oh, my God. <laughs> and unfortunately, I can laugh about it now. Well, I'm glad you could just remember it. So that is actually a pretty good <laughs> There you go. <laughs> there you go, Dan. All right, I got a question. This one actually comes from Dan in Chicago, and I do want to know this. All this stuff that's happening with Aaron Rodgers, what is your opinion, and what do you see happening with that? Well, I'll, I believe he'll be a Green Bay Packer when the season starts. And uh, I've known Aaron Rodgers for, for a long time, and I have unbelievable respect for his talent. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, but he's got a little diva in him, and uh, you know he likes to he likes the spotlight showing on him whenever he can seem to get that spotlight. Uh, you know, I, I I believe he'll be the quarterback of Green Bay Packers when the season starts. Ron Jaworski, thanks for coming on the Bread Boon Podcast. We appreciate it, sir. You guys are awesome. Thank you and be safe. Mailbag. All right, Moon, you know what that sound is, don't you? It's mailbag time, Dan. Mailbag. All right, Moon. This one comes from <laughs> Jose in Tampa. Yes. Brett, Jose, let's go. Brett, what is it like to get drilled with a pitch in the ribs? Um, not part of the job. Not good, not fun, always hurts. Um, 
how do I put it? Put it bluntly. It doesn't, I, I don't know. It, you know, it th- oh. doesn't hurt as much as maybe you'd think it was hurt. It would hurt, but it hurts. The worst are getting tip of the elbow, finger, tip of your finger. Uh, ribs is kind of you have you have a chance to kind of bow up and and tighten up and something happens and it kind of hits more muscle than rib so it's not uh that big of a deal it, it's still it, it's not a fun experience I, I <laughs> i'll be honest it's not fun but it's something i never worried about never thought about uh just when it happened it happened all right back to the mailbag we go all right, Booner, this one comes from Matt in Oceanside, and he wants to know, Brett, have you ever played Torrey Pines where they're holding the U.S. Open? Oh, yeah. Played Torrey Pines a lot. Um, different track than, than I, I'm going to play it the next uh, couple weeks because uh, I, I want to see. It. Right now, it's in pristine, pristine condition. I mean, they've been planning for this for a while. So you go out there. It's a different course than, than you'll play four months from now. Four months from now, it's kind of, you know, it's still a beautiful place on a beautiful piece of land. But it's nothing. The, the shape is nothing like it's going to be in shape for this week. So uh, I always like to try to try to get out there, you know, within a couple of weeks of one of the when the big boys finish playing it. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a great track. It's nothing uh, for me. Pebble Beach is is the uh, North Star for golf for me. So it, it can't really compare for me to Pebble Beach, but uh, it's kind of the Pebble Beach uh, of, of Southern California. All right. And I got a bonus question for you. Of course you do, Dan. This one comes from Steve in New York. Major League Baseball is saying that pitchers caught applying a foreign substance to baseball will be suspended for 10 games, and this will be effective June 21st. Your thoughts, your opinions, what do you got? I've said it all along. They've been doing this forever. They've been doing it for 100 years. Uh, As a hitter, of course, I want it all to go away. I don't want him having anything. I don't think that's realistic. The the tricky part is uh, catching him in the act – and um, being able to, I know it's not a court of law, but being able to prove it in the court of law that you caught him in the act. I think, you know, players are pretty, I don't know, they're, they're pretty uh, smart on how they do things. I don't think you're going to see a pitcher out there with a, with a substance in his back pocket. You know, it's going to be pretty uh, under the radar how they would apply it. Like I said, pitcher's been doing this forever. You know, they talk about going to the mouth. Oh, going to the mouth, you got to wipe off. Well, come on. If I go to the mouth and I pretend to wipe off to the umpire, it looks like I'm wiping off. How can you How can you determine 100% I put spit on my finger and wiped it off of my uniform? Maybe I only wiped off one finger. So it's a cat and mouse. It's, it's going to be a tough thing to really enforce. Obviously, if you had something on your person and you were called out, if something was in your glove, in your pocket, of course. But, but I think uh, these guys aren't dummies. <laughs> They'll find a way. Um, but as a hitter, I want it all out of there. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this year. Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I am the technical director, producer, and the voice of the Boone podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content would be Liz Landry. Please share the Boone podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, 
please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Take care.